Epiphany is pretty cool. <laughs> we do all kinds of neat things on Epiphany that we don't do any other time of year, like that announcement of all the movable feasts that I just proclaimed. We do that after the gospel on Epiphany. And the reason that we do it, it has a certain practical application. If you think back to the days when you weren't able to just sit down and ask Google the date for Easter, it has a certain value to publicly proclaiming when all these movable feasts are. But we do it now on Epiphany because it serves also to tie in the mysteries that we celebrate on this day, the Epiphany of the Lord, with everything else that we celebrate throughout the year, all of the mysteries of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's fitting that we still carry on that tradition. And there are all kinds of other traditions associated with Epiphany that we only do this time of the year. There's a special solemn blessing of holy water that we celebrated last night at the vigil. We bless all the water that we use, the holy water that we use in our parish throughout the year. There's a blessing of salt that we do. We bless chalk. And we have the, the blessed chalk in the back of the church that we in, invite you to take home to your homes. And we bless our homes with the blessed chalk. There's instructions in the little baggies with the chalk and a little bit of the salt that we blessed last night as well. So all these special blessings on Epiphany. There's one blessing that we do on Epiphany that we, we didn't do this year, but there's a special blessing for frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Um, like I said, we didn't do that, but I guess if anyone brought frankincense and myrrh with them, we could arrange for that maybe. And if anyone brought gold, there's going to be a second collection for the DSA. <laughs> that will be a blessing to us. No, but there's all these things that we do on Epiphany, and it's, it's one of my favorite days in the church year. And one of the other unique things about Epiphany that may not be as readily visible as some of these other traditions are what we call the three mysteries of Epiphany, the three mysteries of, of Epiphany that are kind of embedded in the liturgy that we celebrate. In the, the liturgy of the hours for today, for Vespers tonight, the antiphon for, um, for the gospel in Vespers says three mysteries mark this holy day. Today, the star leads the Magi to the infant Christ. Today, water is changed into wine for the wedding feast. Today, Christ wills to be baptized by John in the River Jordan to bring us salvation. The three mysteries of Epiphany. Now, these three mysteries, as they're called, correspond to the three new pieces of art that I'm sure you noticed that we've installed in the back of the church above the baptismal font. Uh, one of them's kind of hidden by the giant Christmas tree. Um, but the three pieces of art reflect these three mysteries. They're from a larger um, collection of frescoes painted in the 14th century by an Italian artist named Giotto that depict the whole life of Christ. But these three scenes were chosen specifically because they reflect these, these three mysteries of Epiphany. And they're in our liturgy for the Mass as well. Today, on Epiphany Sunday, we heard the gospel of the adoration of the Magi coming to adore their newborn king. Next Sunday, we celebrate the feast of the baptism of the Lord. And the Sunday following that, once every three years, we hear the gospel reading from John of the miracle at the wedding of Cana. It's the second Sunday of ordinary time. Now, before the reform of the lectionary, after the Second Vatican Council, which kind of gave us a three-year cycle of readings, we would have heard about the mystery, at, the wedding at Cana 
every Sunday after the baptism of the Lord. So these three mysteries kind of serve to connect what we celebrate in the Christmas season with ordinary time. So that's kind of interesting. But still, what connects these three seemingly different events together? Why are they so often seen together in the life of the church? Well, that connection can be summed up in the word epiphany. Epiphany, the name that we give to our feast today. That word epiphany means manifestation or a revelation. It's a making known of something. A making known of something. That's why when you have a sudden realization, you say, oh, I had an epiphany. Something was made known to you. And these three events in the life of Christ each make known in a different way God's presence among us in Christ Jesus. Each one of them are an epiphany. The light of the star makes Christ known to the Magi. The Father's voice makes the identity of the Son known to us at his baptism. And the transformation of water into wine at the wedding feast makes known Jesus' authority over creation, which reveals him as the author of creation. In other words, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, for my Advent reading this year, I decided to read St. Athanasius's uh, fourth century treatise on the Incarnation. I know all of you probably did the same thing, right? You've read a fourth century treatise for your Advent reflections. It's actually much more exciting than it sounds because it was written by St. Athanasius in response to the Arian heresy that was just rampaging through the church in the fourth century. And the Arians, they denied the divinity of Christ. They, They thought Christ was the highest of all of God's creatures. They attributed to him all kinds of divine aspects. They said that he was very much like God, but they said he couldn't be God. And it's easy for us to understand why people would have difficulty with this, because after all, how can God be born in a manger? How can God die on a cross? So we can understand why the Arians would say, no, Jesus is a very, very blessed man. He's a very holy man. He's the Messiah. He's very much like God, but he can't be God. And so in response, St. Athanasius argues, no, the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation, the fact that Jesus Christ is God-made man, is fundamental to the Christian religion. And yes, he admits, it sounds fantastic that God would do such a thing as be born in a manger or as die on the cross. But there are reasons why. And the first and the most essential reason why God would do such a thing is to become one of us so that he might die as one of us and redeem us for our sins and save us from eternal death. But there's more to it than that, he argued, because if that was the only reason why God became incarnate, it would have been enough for him to have been born and then to die. But Jesus did more than that. He lived among us. He taught us. He performed miracles. He established a church with his divine authority. And he did all of those things because there's another reason why God became incarnate, and that is so that he might be made known to us. That he might be known by us. Think about it. What is the purpose of man? What does our catechism teach us? The purpose of man is to know, love, and serve God. 
to know, love, and serve God. And how can we love and how can we serve what we do not know? It's fundamental to our purpose as human beings made in God's image that we know God. And so what that means is from the moment of our creation, even before the fall, God planned to reveal himself to us so that he might be known by us. And we see this, if you read the Old Testament, it's just an unfolding of God's self-revelation, him making himself known to his people through the law and through the prophets. And we ignore him, you know, we ignore the law, we ignore the prophets. And so what does God do? He comes himself. He comes to us himself. He enters into creation as one of us so that we might know him better. As the letter to the Hebrews begins, in times past, God has spoken in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us through a son. And this great epiphany of God began with a prophecy buried in the Old Testament that a virgin would bear a son and that he would be Emmanuel. This coming of the Son of God was made known by Mary to Mary, rather, made known to Mary by the message of an angel. Nine months after that, he was made known to the shepherds at his birth. And then he was made known a little while later to the Magi by a star. He was made known by the voice of the Father himself at his baptism. And his power was made known by a miracle at Cana in everything that he did, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus Christ makes God known to us. And that is the great epiphany. That's the fullness of God's revelation. God is with us in Christ Jesus, Emmanuel. He is with us. And there is nowhere we can look now that we can't see God. If we look up to the stars, we see that the heavens proclaim his glory. If we look around at each other or at ourselves, we see Christ here as our brother. If we look down among the dead, we discover that he went there too to preach the good news to the souls there. Even if we look all the way down in the pit of hell at the demons, we see that the demons obey his command and tremble at his name. There is no part of creation where God has not been made known. This is the great mystery of the incarnation. And nowhere is it proclaimed more directly than in the beginning of John's gospel, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now John there calls this word the light of the human race and says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Isaiah, in our first reading today, says, The light uh, says, Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. The Magi proclaim in the gospel, We saw his star at its rising, and we've come to do him homage. And St. Paul says, This mystery was made known to me by revelation. And he calls the Gentiles co heirs in this promise. What is this mystery? What is this promise? What was revealed to the Magi by a star? What is this light that is dawned upon us that the darkness cannot overcome? 
It is Christ Emmanuel. It is the wonderful mystery that God has made himself one of us so that we might know him and love him and be loved by him and thus participate in the divine life of grace. This is the meaning of the epiphany that we celebrate today, that God has revealed himself to us in Christ as testified to by the Magi, by the water and the wine, and by the voice of the Father himself. And this great epiphany, it's not limited to one feast day. It's ongoing, just like the incarnation is ongoing, because Christ is Emmanuel still in the sacraments and in the church. God is still with us. The Magi followed the light of a star to pay him homage 2,000 years ago, and we followed his light today as we come here to adore him at this altar. He was made known to Mary by the message of an angel, and he's made known to us today in the preaching of the gospel. He was made known by the transformation of water into wine at the wedding at Cana. He's made known today in the transformation of bread and wine into the flesh and blood here at the wedding feast of the Lamb. He was made known at his baptism by the Father's own voice saying, This is my beloved Son. And he'll be made known again in just a few minutes when we hear Father hold up the Eucharist and say, This is the Lamb of God. Christ is still being made known. And he left his church with a mission to go out and to make disciples of all nations. In other words, to go and make him known throughout space and time. And similarly, we will leave Mass today with a mission. In fact, the word Mass and the word mission come from the same root, Misa in Latin. It means to be sent. Christ, having been revealed to us here in word and sacrament, we're then sent out into the world to reveal him to others. Go and proclaim the gospel of the Lord, I will say. Go from this place. Go and make him known. How do we do that? Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is made known. When we witness to the faith by the example of our lives, he is made known. When we endure trials with patience, he is made known. When we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick and imprisoned, he is made known. When we love one another and when we forgive one another, he is made known. This is why the Father sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that he may be made known, not just by the Magi, not just by the shepherds, but by all generations. So having come here to adore our newborn King, let us then take that light of Christ out with us, away from this place, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, so that we might be shining stars for others, making known God's saving love in the world.